Happy Friday, everybody. It's the Informations 411, your weekly look at the stories that we've written about, other things that we find interesting, and just cool recommendations from your friends here uh, at the reporting team at the Information. My name is Tom Dotan. I work here. Today, we've got two segments for you. First off, I am talking to Bajoli Shah. She and I both had the uh, unique pleasure of once again sitting in on a product release from a media company uh, that is rolling out a streaming app. This is for Warner Media. They had their big analyst day where they unveiled uh, HBO Max, which is their Netflix competitor. And uh, this is a slightly different twist on what Disney rolled out uh, several months earlier. They're going a bit broader with what they want. They also have a higher price point and a lot more questions to answer for. Uh, they have, you know, some advantages to Disney, some disadvantages, and all of that was readily apparent as the company was discussing uh, their plans with HBO Max. So that was my conversation with Bajoli, and then I'm also talking to Nick Bastone, uh, our new newest reporter here who is writing about Google, and he had a very interesting piece about how Google has tweaked its criteria for hiring and is starting to move away from the concept of culture fit and has disaggregated that concept from the concept of uh, Googliness, which has always been at the center of what Google looks for. This is kind of like a Google HR culture piece, but it really gives you a good sense of how that company thinks about its hiring, which is, let's face it, one of the most important assets that they have as a tech firm. All right, that's the stories that we have. Nothing to plug this week. Let's just get on over to my convo with Bijoli. Jolie, so recently you and I had the pleasure of filing into a freezing cold soundstage on the Warner Brothers lot to watch the uh, presentation of yet another streaming service. Uh, this is from HBO Max. Uh, sorry, this is from Warner Media, their new service, HBO Max, which is uh, uh, the company's attempt to plant its flag in the streaming wars and figure out a way that they can compete with Netflix and Disney and all the rest of these guys. Um, there's a lot to kind of cover in this thing, which had a lot of interesting twists and turns and, and says a lot about the state of Warner Media these days. But just from a broad perspective, as you were watching this unfold, I mean, what were what were the biggest things that you saw in how AT&T and Warner Media were presenting their attempts at uh, a Netflix competitor? So they have a lot of shows, Tom. And, you know, we heard them say when we were sitting there that by 2021, HBO Max itself is going to have 50 original shows. On top of that, HBO Max, which has access to HBO's entire library and their new programming, is going to contribute at least 38 shows. From what we saw, it was a little unclear, but those 38 are coming out in 2020, which stands to reason that there will be even more by 2021. That's yeah. a lot of original content. That's, yeah. you know, 88 at a small count, you know, that could easily become 100 by 2021. This is one of the first companies, you know, to use the cliche of streaming wars that we've seen making a really strong volume play similar to Netflix. Right. Obviously, Netflix is doing it on much larger magnitudes. But if you look at Peacock, even if you look at Disney Plus, the original content investment has been a little bit smaller, a little bit more measured. Obviously, Apple in comparison is significantly more measured. So if we're looking purely at volume, I think that HBO Max at least has an interesting – they're bringing an interesting product to market with yeah. the amount of original content that they're putting on here, coupled with their massive libraries. Again, HBO programming, DC Comics, the entire Looney Tunes archive, mm -hmm. Harry Potter movies, Lord of the Rings movies. 
you know, that's a lot of stuff that people want to watch or at least would stay in an app to watch if they saw it in there. Yeah. I would. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're seeing, you know, there's a fine line these companies have to draw because in one sense, they realize that there needs to be some level of volume play because that's what attracts people. It's the idea that you get, you know, a bounty with your monthly uh, with your monthly membership. But also, they just can't get to the level of Netflix output right off the bat. It's just not possible. So you're seeing them kind of take this tact of saying, oh, we're actually a quantity or quality over quantity play, um, which is kind of only half true, right? Ultimately, you know, they're not going to be at the Netflix level. No one's really going to be at that, but they do want quantity. I mean, like you're saying, these are 88 shows. This is much more aggressive from that perspective than a Disney, which is uh, really relying more on, say, its brand and its core uh, you know, pieces of IP than saying like, we're going to be, you know, stuffing you like a foie gras geese with, with, you know, new shows every couple of days. Yeah. That was vivid imagery, Tom. Yes. But yes. one of the things sort of speaking to the exact point that you made, one of the places where I thought HBO or Max was speaking out of both sides of their mouth a little bit was exactly what we talked about. We saw Kevin Riley, he's the chief content officer, you know, he's in charge of the majority of the programming for the service. For, for Max, that, right. For Max. Yes. Yeah. For Max. So one of the first things he said when he came out was talking about the rerun content. Obviously, HBO Max has scored some really big wins with getting Friends back, which is still on Netflix through the end of the year, but will move to Max next year. You know, they've signed, they announced that they're going to have the South Park Library. Rick mm -hmm. and Morty is coming off Tons Hulu. of episodes there. Tons. Big Bang Theory, too. First time that'll be on streaming. Exactly. And so one of the things that Riley had said when he was talking about this, and it was one of the first things he said when he came on stage, was how much engagement they've seen, how much data they've seen around rerun programming. You know, the top, I forget the exact number, but a significant majority of the top 10 shows on streaming are rerun shows. So you start with your chief content officer talking about, you know, look at this library that we've amassed both in-house and from licensing back content. But then they're also sitting there within the next 20 minutes talking about how much original content they have and how original content is this huge driver Obviously, I think both pieces are very important, but there is a little bit of ambiguity about which one is more important. And I think HBO Max right now is trying to do both because there's no real answer on if original content alone or if licensing alone yeah. is right. going to be the category killer. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I thought was clever about their ploy is that it's true that front and center of this service is the HBO content. You know, the, you mentioned Kevin Riley coming out there. The first content uh, creative executive they had, actually, I think they had Bob Greenblatt. Boy, they have a lot of creative executives over there. That's maybe something else to discuss. But um, yeah. they, they brought out um, Casey Bloys uh, on, on the stage, who's the head of programming at HBO. And uh, he really was able to kind of preview the, the upcoming seasons of, of HBO shows and new things coming out. And, you know, we're in this era where there's tons of content out there. It, from my vantage point, HBO still has the best shows out there. Uh, I mean, like the most buzzworthy shows, the ones that kind of get the most sort of critical and sometimes social uh, uh, media driven stuff. So so that's definitely a big part of it. Um, and yet they also are using this Mac stuff that, you know, that Kevin Riley uh, announced shows as a way to sort of fill out the gaps in in their programming. Uh, you know, they, they have all these HBO shows which seem to appeal more to young, younger and, and kind of male skewing audiences. And so you have this parade of Max like shows uh, or the Max shows that are supposedly oriented more at, at a female audience. Um, and, and it's kind of trying to broaden their, their, their reach and, 
you know, bring in people that hadn't been watching HBO or, you know, the HBO type stuff recently. And, and that's one of the complications that Warner Media and, and HBO Max is facing that the other other guys don't, which is that HBO is already a, an existing service uh, or existing premium channel. And they have these deals with all the cable companies and other distributors uh, around the country to say, you guys are our sellers of HBO. And now they're effectively taking HBO Max or HBO, rolling the entirety of that catalog into this new streaming service, which like, let's face it, is a direct competitor to being a cable subscriber. They are, are pushing something that will encourage cord cutting. and. It was very clear to at least me, and I'd be interested in your opinion, that they just haven't resolved that central tension there. In one sense, they're a company very dependent. Uh, it, its core product is dependent on distributors, and they're trying to get them to get on board with this new streaming service, which, oh, by the way, is going to cost the same amount as HBO. So you'd be uh, a low IQ individual um, to not sign up for HBO Max uh, and get more stuff for the same price. I mean, what were your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I felt. I turned to you very confused multiple times about the fact that on one hand, they're, you know, trying to talk about the importance of HBO and they're still keeping their linear customers happy. And on the other hand, they're creating a service that hopefully it's $15. It's not cheap, but it's a lot cheaper than a cable package. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's clearly a market that they are trying to address. Um, I do think the tension is very interesting, but I will say that Listen, the distribution issue is a problem right now, but it does seem a lot smaller for them because they are still getting access to all of these AT&T wireless customers, AT&T broadband customers who, you know, they've been doing, they've announced a bunch of partnerships. Uh, people are going to get max free for an unspecified amount right. of time. And I think that that puts them in a slightly more advantageous position if they do have to take a hard line with distributors compared to a company like Comcast Peacock, where that existential battle is underscoring everything that they do. So so what, I mean, what are you looking for next? I mean, this thing is not coming out until May of next year. So they have clearly some stuff to work out. But of, of the remaining questions that you had watching this presentation play out, uh, beyond the fact that, you know, are we going to get served dinner at the end of this thing? Um, you know, how, how elaborate is it going to be? Uh, th those sort of questions that really plague most journalists at uh, these kinds of dogs and pony shows. Um, what, uh, what are you looking for, Pajoli? I am very curious about who's going to pay for this. $14.99 is a lot of money. You're looking at, you know, Disney is saying, come get Disney Plus for $6.99. Mm -hmm. Apple is saying, come get Apple for $5. And that's assuming that you're going to pay full freight monthly. You know, you're not taking up one of these partnerships or buying a device. And right. These three-year three deals TV. that make it even cheaper. Yeah. yeah. And $15 is a lot. Obviously, having the HBO quality behind them is going to be helpful. But as far as they keep doing this dance of talking out, out of the both sides of their mouth where, you know, we're everything for everyone, but we're also HBO and we're quality, I think it's going to be really confusing to the market. So Yeah. No, it's, it's a great point. And I think, you know, to... To, to, to look at historically where HBO has been at, look, they haven't grown their HBO subscriber base in a long time. Like, it's been at this kind of 35 million subscriber for a while, and that's in a now era. So their bet is essentially saying, look, we've gotten to this 35 million uh, uh, subscribers with just HBO content. Can we get to a huge number? And they want, you know, eventually like 
what is it, 60 to 90 million in the next five years? Can we yeah, do that? Yeah, I think that they're globally, their goals are 70 to 90 by 2025. Right. So basically, it's like, can we, you know, add some more programming, a huge library, uh, you know, international distribution? Can we suddenly get to these huge numbers uh, uh, by adding more programming and at this $15 level, which is kind of unprecedented in the streaming world? And I, uh, I really have no idea. I, I, it's a, it's a very, it seems one of the riskier gambles in the streaming wars. Yeah, it's also it seems risky to me because sort of touching on exactly what you said at the beginning, this product is really similar to Netflix. Ultimately, you know, you're getting a library with some stuff you want to see, probably a bunch that you don't care about. Maybe you'll watch it if you're bored and like me, you're staying in on Halloween with your windows closed and your lights all turned off. Right. Sure. Soon soon that's all of us. But right. And you know, and then you have some original content. Again, maybe some of it's good, maybe some of it you watch and you don't tell your friends that you actually watch that show. It's very similar to Netflix. At least Disney has a very specific market that they're hitting. You know, Apple, a lot of question marks there, but it's $5. Yeah, cheap as hell. So this to me, you know, I'm not saying that people who are only going to subscribe to one or the other, you know, I'm going to subscribe to all of them. I'd like to think that there are more idiots like me out there. But it's a lot to ask people to switch after they've been so entrenched with a very similar product that has a library that you may or may not care about and some originals that you may or may not care about. For a very similar price point. Yes, yes. I think that that is an uphill battle that some of these other services are not facing immediately. Yes. Well, you know, as they said in the Bible, there are winners and losers in the streaming wars. Uh, We are still at the early stages of that battle. And um, so many generals to watch and so many war plans to see. I'm trying to carry this this metaphor as far as it can go. But truly, uh, this is about people watching content on on their TVs. Anyway, Bajoli, it was a pleasure serving alongside you in this, uh, you know, Civil War reenactment that is uh, current uh, media these days. And uh, I look forward to many future Civil War-like letters to be dispatched from the battlefield as we report on the daily happenings. So do I, but hopefully in warmer rooms next time. I heard analysts loved how that room looked, but they were as cold as we were. So, yeah, Um, there's that that strategy, too. All right, Bajoli, thanks for joining. Okay, thanks, Tom. Bye. Bye. Right, Nick, so there are a few companies in the Valley that to me epitomize the culture and the hiring practices of this industry more than Google. And they really popularized this concept of finding unique characters in the mass that uh, epitomize what this company is all about. And you have the story that says they've actually begun kind of evolving the way they think about certain aspects of their hiring and specific this concept of Googliness and whether it is uh, compatible with other things that they are that they are trying to look for in candidates. So why don't we just first start off, ex- why don't you just explain to me what is Googliness and why does it matter so much in, in Google's hiring practices? Yeah, so I mean, Googliness is this term that sort of uh, started you know, naturally as, as the company grew. Um, we spoke in the piece to um, uh, Laszlo Bach, who's an, er- an early like senior vice president of people. And he said, you know, early on, it kind of meant uh, that someone was nice and, and 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 generally smart. So that was, you know, kind of, oh, you're googly. Um, over time, it evolved uh, the definition of it, and they actually put 
uh, definition behind it to mean, you know, someone that, you know, thrives in ambiguity, is, is conscientious, um, taste, takes or, or has taken a, a, an interesting path in life. So they actually put definition around it um, and they used it as one of their hiring criteria. So Google around 2007 uh, said, hey, we can't just hire the smartest people anymore. Let's be more uh, systematic about it. Um, and they put together a list of four hiring criteria, uh, you know, general propensity towards, you know, being a leader, um, general cognitive abilities and uh, sort of a fit for the role or, or and, and, and Googliness actually became one of those things that they they, they hired for. So you see it, you know, kind of go from this uh, kind of fun concept to actually, hey, we're going to we're going to hire for this because those people who, who who demonstrate Googliness actually we see thriving. Here. Right. Right. OK. So then but the, the change that you're describing in this is that they've begun kind of Dis, uh, disaggregating the concept of googliness with the company's overall culture, or at least the ability for someone to fit into into this culture. I mean, what's like the significance of that? Yeah, I mean, I think over time, employees just started uh, thinking that the two terms were synonymous with each other. So you had um, this idea, like, if like, someone is googly, then they have a culture fit, right? Right, yeah. right. And and you know, culture fit as a as a concept was sort of um, uh, embraced by Silicon Valley um, and still is to some extent. Um, but over time, we've seen that, hey, culture fit oftentimes can be, I'm just going to hire someone that's that's like me or, or, or thinks like me. Um, and so companies are starting to, 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 to back away from hire, saying, hey, we're going to hire for culture fit. And that's what you see with Google doing here. So in 2017, what, what we reported on is they added this line to an internal um, web web page that said, um, "Hey, you know, Googliness is not the same thing as culture fit." And they actually say because culture fit can uh, leave room for bias is, is is what they said. Right, and and I guess the worry is also there's kind of like a stagnation in their culture. If you're just right. going to hire people that are of a certain type, right. you're not going to be. I mean, all these companies are worried about the innovators' dilemma and you know being out thought and out executed by a smaller, younger more nimble company. Yeah, totally. And you see it in their diversity numbers too. So uh, they started releasing them in 2014. And, um, you know, we, we spoke to some folks about it and they said, hey, actually, that was when uh, we started thinking there's a there's a problem with culture fit um, um, because you saw the numbers, Google one, being one of them, um, that, you know, they hire predominantly men, white and Asian. Um, and, uh, you know, those numbers are sort of trending in, in better directions, but there's still... Uh, you know, issues there. Yeah. Has the concept of Googliness, uh, I mean, in, in this process, do you think that is also like up for debate and, and something that can change? I mean, I imagine as the company starts to evolve and maybe doesn't have the same type of people because they're no longer focused as much on cultural fit that, mm. you know, what we think of or what they think of as Googly might look fairly different in, in five to 10 years, or is that pretty constant? Yeah, I mean, so Google says they haven't changed like the attributes of Googliness since 2012. So that's that's it's a long time and the company's changed a yeah. bunch. I think in general, I mean, outside of this piece, I've spoken to employees that are worried that, you know, the company is going to stop hiring, you know, folks that are, are going to speak up. And, um, you know, they're worried that they're going to hire people that just sort of put one foot in front of the other because, um, you know, as you've seen with the Google walkout, which is, you know, happened last year, uh, all these protests around contracts with the government. Um, there's sort of this, you know, well, there's a huge tension between leadership and employees. And uh, the fear is that 
leadership will increasingly want to hire employees that are, uh, you know, sort of just kind of go along with the status quo. So, um, you know, the definition hasn't changed, but I think employees are definitely worried that uh, the types of people that they're going to be hiring aren't uh, going to be as sort of vocal. As yeah. Do you think, by the way, I mean, as you were doing this piece, that these kinds of changes into Google are going to, you know, have effects across a broader tech ecosystem? I mean, I think of like, and you mentioned this in your story, Google very famously had these like brain teasers. They would ask people that they were so famous for them that you would think about, oh, Google, they only hire people who can answer questions like how many airports are there in America right now or, or something like that, or how would you figure that out? Right. Uh, and they've done away with them, as you mentioned in your story. I mean, something like this, move away from culture fit. Do you think that that's going to have you know broader impacts? Well, the brain teaser thing, I mean, Laszlo even said that, hey, we, you know, we found that uh, this wasn't a good indicator. So, I mean, I think that's, I mean, though fun, um, you know, that's it was a branding thing. I just <laughs> felt like it was, you know, oh, these guys are the best and brightest because they know, you know, these yeah. kind of obscure lateral thinking questions. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I, 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 I do think, um, you know, I, 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 yeah, though fun, I, I think like as you mature as a company, um, um, they've put a lot of resources behind, uh, you know, figuring out, um, you know, what works and what doesn't. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that the separation is good um, um, between like getting rid of culture fit. I think that is a good thing because I do think that it does have, um, you know, what folks described as, you um, you know, bias or an affinity bias, and you end up hiring a lot of people that, that think like you. I think like moving away from that is, is a good thing. I think what's problematic is, as we said in the piece, like we spoke to many employees and um, they didn't actually get the difference. Like they still don't get the difference, even though right. that Google has tried multiple times in trainings to, you know, say, uh, you know, the the two don't equal each other, and then they add this line in two thousand. It's been two years, and and you know, the, people are the, still confused. They don't get it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I think it might just be problem. certain things are just baked into yeah, the, not just the DNA of the company, but the DNA of the way people think about it. And right. a couple lines in an HR document isn't enough to really change something that's sort of fundamental and core. Yeah, fair. Uh, anyway, Nick, well, you're definitely a good culture fit here at The Information, or not, actually. You're actually not a good culture fit, and that's why we, we, we're excited to have you here. Uh, but thank you very much for your, uh, your first... Culture ad. Yeah, right, exactly. You're, yeah. You're, you're diversifying the pot, right. the pot of thought right. uh, at The Information. All right, Nick, uh, thanks for joining. All right, thank you. Thanks for having me.